that God is trying to wake up the church in America, the capital C church. Then that's just been so on my heart. Uh, and and I, I look at the news, I know you do as well, and you could get pretty depressed uh, uh, looking at, at the news. But I want to tell you something. The answer is not going to come in the presidential race, who's in the White House, who's sitting in the government. God wants to do something in his people, the church, to be a part of what is going to happen. I'm praying for a revival that will shake the foundations of our country, of our church, and do a new thing that will pierce the darkness of this community. I ask a question this morning, how committed are you? Now, that seems like a no-brainer question. That seems like something, you know, that we could answer in our sleep. But I want you to truly allow the Holy Spirit to open our hearts this morning and, and do some deep digging. We sang about the wells digging this morning. And I want the Holy Spirit to do that because I believe within this very room is a catalyst that is waiting to take effect that can change the course of this community, of this city, of this state, of this nation. You're already going to Calvert. You're already uh, in Africa today. And who knows what God wants to do in and through you here at the ark. Do you realize that your life is influencing others? Now, you may say, well, Sister Deborah, yeah, I'm, I, I know that, that I'm an influence. But do you really realize that, that it, this may be obvious to you? Some people you may be an influence over parents, your children, uh, uh, grandparents, your grandchildren, your friends, people around you. But I want to ask you more importantly, there are many whom you do not realize that your life is an influence today. And that's what I want to talk to you about. You and I have influence. You have influence. This church has influence. One day I was sitting in my office not too long ago and just praying over the fact of influence. And, and um, I just felt impressed to go to our foyer and to look out the windows of, our, of the doors of our church. And um, all of a sudden, I, I just sensed the Holy Spirit speaking to me. He said, you know, you have always, and most people, when they come to a church or, or you're a member of a church, you come to your parking lot and or you drive by and you say, that's the church I go to. That's my church. That's the Ark Fellowship, right? We, we look at the church from the parking lot looking in. But the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, I want you, as you're standing in this foyer looking out, I want you to be who you are, the church, looking out into the community to where I've sent you. He said, for First Assembly, we're on the corner of uh, Avenue N and Ward Street and 8th Street. There's two Title I elementary schools right across the street from us. We're in an older uh, neighborhood of Rosenberg. And, uh, and he said, that's your Jerusalem. That's who I've sent you to. And so often the church wants to be inward focused. We want to, we think about uh, what's happening and all that. But God's saying, I'm going to do a new thing in and through you to get you to focus outward, to stand and look outside those doors and saying, that's who I'm sending you to. I'm sending you to be an influence to the world around you. And I put before you and I today that the answer to 
the question of are you committed, do you know that you are an influence, is the answer that I feel personally uh, as an individual and as church bodies that will determine whether or not God will entrust us with a sovereign move of his Holy Spirit in these last days. Because he's not going to entrust his move of the Holy Spirit, the open doors, the open heavens, if you will, that he, that is here and ready to happen if we can't be trusted. If we won't take ownership of what has been entrusted to us by God, by Jesus Christ himself. I want to ask you today, what is influence and why does it matter? Jesus talked about influence. I want to give you the biblical, I mean the dictionary interpretation first of all. Influence is this, emanation of spiritual or moral force. The power to change or affect someone or something. The power to cause changes without directly forcing them to happen. And finally, a person or thing that affects someone or something in an important way. Now, early in Jesus' ministry, very early, one of his finest discourses, people consider the Sermon on the Mount, it's a message that is, is very important for us today as well. It's vital. Within these three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, it's the first time that we hear from Jesus' mouth the message on the importance that he places of influence on our lives. I want you to look with me. Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 13. Jesus said this, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now I want you to notice something. These aren't suggestions. These are commands. Jesus is saying you are the salt of the earth. You are the light present tense. It's not something in the past tense. It's something right now. You are, if you're a child of God, if you're a son or a daughter of God, you are the salt. You are the light. And I don't know about you, but those are tough commands for me to hear. We, whether we realize it or not, we're ever touching unconsciously people's lives. Every person that you've come in contact with has affected your life, my life, whether we realize it or not. You change people, just your presence, just coming into a a room and, and being with other people affects the atmosphere of that room. One person without thought or attention or intention or even a conscious act is ever leading some other person after him. Look at John chapter 20, verse 3. So Peter and the other disciple went forth, and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. And so Simon Peter also came following him, and he entered the tomb. And he saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the face cloth which had been on his head not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple 
who had first come to the tomb, then also entered, and he saw and believed. Now, I want you to think. Little does Peter doesn't even think. They're both running to the tomb, and Peter, as impetuous as he is, he just runs right on into that tomb. The other, they suppose, is John, and maybe the reason he got there sooner was he was younger than Peter. He he didn't go in. He was just peering inside. But the influence of his older brother walking into that tomb, whether John realized or not, drew him in. He saw his brother go in. You see how we don't even realize unconsciously that we're affecting one another's lives? And so, and so then we see he's looking in the sepulcher. He goes straight in. And little does John think when he loses his misgivings and goes into the, the tomb, the empty tomb with Peter, that he's following his brother. He doesn't realize he is. He's just doing it naturally. And just so unaware to us, oftentimes through our actions, through our words, you and I are leading others into places where they wouldn't otherwise have ventured out. We don't think about this. The video was so cute with the two men in the front yard. You know, you want to go to church? Oh, no, he's inviting me for goulash. And they say a, a large percentage of people would go to church, but they're never asked. What an indictment on the body of Christ today of the influence that we can have on people. Through our influence, we overrun the boundaries of our personality. We flow together. As, as we influence one another, we flow together, and the body of Christ comes together in unity through our influence. And one voice, when it's brought together, that influence rises up and becomes a cacophony of screams. Jesus is alive. He's, the tomb is empty as Peter leads a John. A John goes after Peter, both of them unconscious of any influence that one has over the other. And so our lives are the same thing, propagating that influence, that following. Are you, are you with me this morning? Are you seeing where I'm going on this? It's contagious. Influence is contagious, and it's so needed in the times in which we live in. Good influence. We've got enough bad influence out there. There are then two sorts of influences belonging to man. That which is active or voluntary, we can purposefully exert or persuade people to do our way or, or another way. That's a, that's a voluntary influence. But then there's that unconscious active influence. It flows out of us through our personality. It's sometimes unaware of ourselves. The same which Peter had over John, which he led into the empty tomb. It just because of, of the presence that goes with us. I have an opportunity to go into disasters with my training. I'm a crisis chaplain. And I've gone into some pretty tough situations. And they say that, uh, that it's the presence. We, we wear bright yellow shirts. And, and I remember one of the times I, I was really felt like a... a stuck out there was uh, after Katrina, and uh, all the, the people from the uh, Ninth Ward were being brought into the Astrodome complex, and I was the first chaplain that arrived, 
And uh, we didn't know much at that time, if you'll remember right, and people were coming in on the buses, and here I am in the midst of two or 3,000, maybe more, uh, people coming in with a bright yellow shirt and chaplain across the back, <laughs> you know, and, and people that are searching for loved ones, searching for, uh, wondering if someone's uh, dead or alive, and, and uh, just some horrific stories that came came out of that time, and and we can see that influence that, that you have just the presence of God that is in your life. And you may be sitting here today and thinking, nobody knows. Nobody no. How do I have any influence? Brother, sister, I'm telling you, you have influence. The Holy Spirit dwelling in you cannot be hidden. He is there. And we need to own it. We need to realize that the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the grave is living in us and desires to use us, the influence that he has to exert to the world around us. We can make a difference. The influences that you and I exert unconsciously will almost never disagree with our real character. The influences that we exert unconsciously will almost never disagree with our real character. You know, the scripture that says, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. When you get squeezed, what is on the inside comes out. And so that's what salt does. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Salt does in a dish. It it isn't seen, but you can tell it's there. You can tell if you've been too heavy on the salt shaker when you were cooking on the stove. I've done that many times. You can tell when there's no salt in in something. Salt is an important ingredient. You can't see it, but you know it's there. And I want us to focus on a moment on the unconscious influences that flow from our character because God's Word tells us that we are equally, if not even more so, responsible for them. We're responsible for those character things that come out from us, their effects on the world around us. 1 Corinthians 4, 5, wait until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose those, the, the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. The influence that emanates from your life and my life is like that salt that we don't see, but we know that it's there. Your influence to others constantly, every waking moment goes out from you and I in all directions, either poisoning or healing around the roots of the people of the lives that it touches. It's part of our character. We can't stop it. If we're the center of our influence, we're poisoned. We've got to make Jesus the center of our influence. There's a new book out, John Bevere. Um, He's one of those kind of authors that uh, your toes get crunched every time you read. It's called Good or God. Anybody read that yet, working on it? It's powerful. In, In the third or fourth chapter, he goes through and talks about the difference between uh, Jesus as Savior and Jesus as Lord, that many people have made Jesus Savior of their life but not Lord of their life that they recognize the work of Christ in Savior, but they don't recognize the person of Christ as Lord. And we have to get to that point, church, to where we are truly influencers in the sense that Jesus is the Lord. 
I'm not the center of my world. We are the center of our world. But Jesus is the center of our world. That we truly have made him Lord. And that and only that will allow our influence to flow and bring healing and not poison to the lives around us. Jesus clearly expects the world to be transformed by our presence. And I'm telling you, Deborah Prohoda can't transform anybody. There is no good that comes out of our flesh, out of our character. That is being crucified daily. That's the part that God wants to heal. That's the part that God wants to change. Why? So that he can put more of him inside. So more of his influence will emanate from our lives. And so that is what he is desiring to do. And I want us to hear Jesus' words to us, not in our intellect this morning, but in our spirits. Notice, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. are not suggestions. He's actually giving us commands. And it's time that we take them to heart. He said, if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Now, when we go to the grocery store today and we buy the Morton salt or or whatever brand you may, uh, may purchase at the store, that is pure salt. But in in this century in which Jesus walked, salt was not pure when it was mined. It had to go through a process. And when they mined salt from a quarry or a pit, it was never completely pure. And occasionally the salt that they gathered was so impure that they could never uh, get the impurities out. It was not salty at all. And they would actually use that for ground because it would pack down well and it would become hard. And what Jesus is saying, I believe, in these verses is, is that if we as his followers are going to change the world, we have to be pure salt. Our influence has to be real and pure. Our lives cannot anymore be a mixture of impurities. We have to be uncompromised, pure, and authentic believers. Beloved, an inconsistent lifestyle repels people from the church. And we're at a place, I believe, in which it is, it is an emergency. It is a 911 emergency as far as the lives that are being lost, that are being turned away. I'm encouraged when I hear of reports in the Middle East and countries uh, around uh, Saudi Arabia and around northern Africa even where um, the Muslims are coming in and uh, killing the Christians, persecuting Christians. But God is showing up. He's showing up in dreams and visions and visitations. And they, I heard one of the uh, people from ISIS a while back saying, we're going to wipe out every Christian. And, and in my head, I thought, oh, no, you won't. Because that's, that is feeding ground for revival. Everywhere in the world where there has been persecution, the church has flourished. And I pray that we don't have, we're experiencing seed beds, pockets of persecution now in America, but I believe it's God getting our attention before anything worse happens. We have to wake up. We have to realize that we can't play church. 
We have to be the church. God's given us everything that we need. We can't do it on ourselves. It's too difficult. We've gotten too sucked in to what the world is squeezing us into. And we need the power of the Holy Spirit to help us realize, to recognize how those impurities might have seeped into our lives unaware. And we need to take the, the Bible and read it, open it up, and let it soak into our spirits today. We can't have mixture. It repels people from coming to church. I ask you today, what is your center of influence? How authentic is your walk? Are people around you drawn to faith by seeing your life? Are they drawn to ask questions? Do people cross your path? Do they recognize that there is a difference in the way you live or the way I live? I can't tell how many times I've heard people share that they knew someone that was a Christian and that repelled them from the church. They said, well, if that's the way Jesus is, I don't want to be like that. There's a book, The Unchurched uh, Next Door by Tom Rainier. And one of the testimonies just, just ripped my heart out. There was a group of women in a, in a neighborhood that had gotten together for years. And uh, one of the ladies became a Christian. She was just on fire, turned on, and, and every which way came to her next group of the ladies in her neighborhood meeting, just telling them about Jesus, telling them what Jesus had done in her life. And, um, and they turned to her and they said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're Christians. We go to church, you know. And she just kind of looked at them, the testimony says, dumbfounded. And she says, you mean we've been gathering together for years? You knew I wasn't a Christian? You knew if I were to die, I would go to hell? And you never told me about Jesus? See, there are people all around you and I. Each and every day, just like the man in the front yard, the Holy Spirit was tugging at his heart. And all that man had to do was stop playing church, stop making excuses, not feeling, feeling guilty for being, oh, yeah, my wife made me go to church. Yeah, I was at church. I think it's macho for men to be believers. I love to see men hugging one another and praying together and weeping together. They say, the, the saying is, men, real men don't cry. You want me to tell you what I've learned in my training as chaplains? All men cry, but most men cry on the inside. You see, we need spiritual men and spiritual women who care nothing about themselves, but only for those people outside those doors that will allow their influence to be used by the power of God to reach whoever he sends in their way, no matter what, what it does to their reputation, to their, whether they're liked, whether they're not liked, whether they're rejected. And that's what God is calling us to. He's calling us to authenticity for a pure life. And if we would truly come to grips with the fact that you and I have influence, you and I, this church, First Assembly in Rosenberg, we may be the only Jesus that people around us may ever see. And sometimes those of us growing up in America, we, we, it kind of goes over our head. But I was sitting in a school district meeting not long ago and 
And they were talking to everyone about something they needed to get out and news to the families. And somebody suggested, well, why don't we uh, contact the pastors and ask them to, to relay that to the families in their church to help dispel it through the community. And one of the counselors spoke up and she said, but you know what? The very kids, the very families that we want to get the word out to don't go to church. We've come in contact with people, grown people, in the Richmond-Rosenberg area that don't know the true meaning of Easter, that don't know who Jesus is, that never have stepped foot inside a church before. I had somebody tell me that just recently when they came to one of our Tuesday night classes. I've never been in a church before. And we, we think, you know, because we live in America, we live in this bubble, but people, we need to realize the time is short There are days at hand that we need to take advantage of and use our influence for his glory. The world has been has a way of twisting God's word to tell us that we're to be salt. Now, I've known some people that say, well, I'm pretty salty, Pastor. But I want to tell you that that that's kind of like the world's saltiness. There have been some real characters in my life, believe me, but they're not in any way, shape, or form what Jesus was talking about when he said the salt of the earth. And then we tend to joke about it and make light of Christians like that. Well, that's just the way they are. They've always been that way. Their dad was like that. Their mom, if you really knew how how they were brought up, you would understand. No, I don't understand. Because you see, we all come from different places. We, most of us in here today, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but grew up in dysfunctional homes. But God, but God, I am so thankful. My dad died when I was eight and a half years old. I woke up the, the night that he died and there was red lights going across the top of my my bedroom, and I looked out the front of my window of my bedroom, and there was an ambulance in my front yard. And I remember running down. We lived in what I think it's the fifth ward of Houston now. And there was my daddy laying in the bed with an oxygen mask and his law books laying across his head, his chest. He died of a cerebral aneurysm. He was 36 years old. I remember uh, my aunt and uncle uh, came and stayed with us while Mama went to the hospital. <clears throat> and I went into the kitchen that night, and then I told my aunt and uncle, eight and a half years old, I said, I said, if my daddy dies, I want to go to church tomorrow and pray. I don't know why I said that. I just wanted to. We, we attended a Methodist church in downtown Houston, if you know where the museum district is, the the um, Fine Arts Museum, there's a Methodist church, St. Paul's Methodist. That's where I grew up uh, going to church as a little girl. And there was this stained glass window that I, I was my favorite stained glass window right over the choir loft. When you walk down that big old Gothic uh, cathedral building, it was a stained glass window, Jesus at Gethsemane. <clears throat> and somebody from my mama's Sunday school class came and picked me up that next morning. I remember it so clear. They dropped me off in the narthex, the, the front of the church, and, I, and left me there by myself. And I remember walking down that long red carpet down to where you kneeled for the communion and prayed. I don't know what I prayed. I don't remember exactly. But God gave me a picture of that not long ago. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that day, though I had some turmoil and, and, and struggles in my life, 
until I truly asked Jesus, but Jesus became my father that day. God became my father that day. And I want to tell you, he is real. And he can change us. No matter where we grew up, no matter what we, we lived through, my mom became an alcoholic after that, lived with, with some, in some you know, stressful times. But I know that I know that I know that God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think. And when the devil comes against me and says, you can't do this, you're not smart enough, you're a woman, you're this or that, I said, you know what, I can't, but God can. So you let your influence for God be what he calls you to be. Don't let the world tell you otherwise. And you know in your knower when the Holy Spirit's speaking to you, when God has given you a charge, when God has given you a dream or a vision. And I tell you to be silent before him. He will bring it to pass. You don't have to lift a finger But God will use you. He will use his influence on your behalf. He will allow his influence to shine through you and people will see him in you. And they, when they find your testimony, they're going to say, wow, I didn't know. You'll know that was God. It wasn't you. And so I say don't take the enemy's bait. The world's saltiness is not funny. It's not cute. It's not excusable, but it needs to be taken to the cross and crucified. Our prayer focus, I believe the church for this season is for those who truly desire God to use us to be an influence for him in our communities, in our churches, in our world. Ask a simple question. Do I long for renewal in my life? And God's so simple. Do you want it? Because you know, usually what you think it looks like and what it's going to take to get there is nothing like what it's going to be. All God wants is that, yes, Lord. Isaiah said, he nanny, Lord, here am I, send me. And it will never look like what you think it's going to look like. It's going to be harder than you think it's going to be, but it'll be so worth it in the end. Salt is a seasoning, a preservative, but unless it's brought into contact with another object, the influence is wasted. Salt becomes visible, invisible, to have a visible effect. Let me say that again. Salt has to become invisible to have a visible effect. Salt by itself is nothing more than fine little particles. And in that state, it is worthless. It has to be joined together. When it's rubbed onto meat, I'm going to make you hungry now. When it's added to food, it becomes invisible. But then that's when it has the full intention of what it was meant to be influencing the flavor are you influencing the flavor of those around you today that god sends you to minister to salt that just sits in the shaker is no use salt that doesn't allow itself to be purified and readied for use is of no use to the master we have to go through that purifying process continually none of us have arrived and if you think you're arrived You need some more work. 
Because we all need work. Today's the day. Today is the day to dedicate or rededicate your life, I believe, to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. To say, Lord, take this salt shaker and do whatever you need to do to use me to be an influence to the world around me, God. I want to be pure. I want to be real. I want to be alive in you and through you. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are an influence to people around you. Wake up. Wake up and see the ripple effect in your life. He wants to turn it from a ripple to a tsunami of the lives that you can affect for his glory. But it depends on you and me, whether we allow him to do what he wants to do. Can we stand today?